Over 700 years after this prophecy was written, the eternal Son of God came to earth to become a man and be born Jesus of Nazareth. The Word of God in Matthew chapter 4 makes clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 9. Jesus is that promised King who will rescue His people from sin and death. So the four titles given there in Isaiah 9-6 declare the glory of what King Jesus would do for His people. The last two weeks we have considered how Jesus is wonderful counselor and mighty God. And today we turn our attention to the title Everlasting Father. Now out of those four titles, it's probably this one, Everlasting Father, that may cause you to pause and kind of raise your eyebrows and say, Now wait a minute. (laughs) I thought God existed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that Jesus is the Son of God. So why is he here called Everlasting Father? And that's an understandable question. (laughs) But we need to understand that everlasting father here in Isaiah 9-6 is not referring to um, the first person of the Trinity. It's not trying to describe who God is ontologically, as they say. Rather, this is describing, these titles are describing the ministry of the Messiah, the ministry of King Jesus. And so it's using the metaphor of father to describe how King Jesus acts toward his people. And this would not have been that unknown to to them. The kings were often portrayed like fathers because they provide protection and and provision for their people. And so what we want to see from this text and, and consider today is that Jesus cares for his people like a father. And as we focus on this title, Everlasting Father, I want to share three aspects of the fatherly care of King Jesus for his people. So if you're taking notes, there's an outline provided for you that you can fill in the the key words here. The first aspect of his fatherly care that King Jesus has for his people is that Jesus as we consider this, understand Jesus fathered, or we could say brought about our salvation and new life. Jesus fathered our salvation and new life, right? When we talk about someone creating uh, or or founding something, we we often will say they fathered it. For example, uh, we call the signers of the Declaration of Independence the, the founding fathers of our nation, right? And and the Bible uses that, those same kinds of um, uh, terminology. In Exodus 4.22, God tells Moses, right, when he's preparing to redeem his people from the slavery in Egypt, God tells Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. You see, Israel... In the Old Testament was the Lord's son because God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and God formed them into the nation of Israel through the Mosaic Covenant. And now I want us to, again, this is a little bit of a topical sermon today, so please turn to the New Testament in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, I want us to consider how Jesus has fathered or brought about our salvation, our new life. If you're using the Black Bibles, that's page 983. 
Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 is a, is a theologically rich passage and, and uh, it's believed that this was actually an early hymn, or excuse me, a hymn of the early church because it declares the, the, who Christ is. It declares how Jesus is supreme and central to all that God is doing both in physical creation and in the new creation or salvation. So the hymn is kind of divided into those two parts. The first part in verses 15 through 17 declare that Christ is supreme because he is the one who brought about creation. All things, the scripture says, were made through Christ and for Christ. And then as we turn to the second half of the hymn, I want to read that for us here in verses 18 through 20 because the same theme, the same truth is declared about Jesus regarding salvation, that he is the one who brings it about. He is the one who brings about the new creation. Look at verse 18 of Colossians 1, speaking of Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, these verses are talking about our salvation. The church, right, when it says he's the head of the church, it's beginning. The church is us, the people of God, right? The church is not a building. The church are the ones whom God has saved. And Christ is head over the church. Why? Because he made the church. Notice verse 18 says he is the beginning of the church. And by saying that Christ is the beginning, it literally means he is the originating cause. He is the source of its life. He is the one who has birthed the church, given life to the church. That word beginning, an appropriate synonym for it would be founder. Jesus is the founder of the church because he saved his people, the church, through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus purchased our salvation. Jesus brought about our salvation through his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus brought the church into being through his finished work and by sending his spirit to give each one of us the new birth. And so he, is, he has fathered us in, in that sense. He has brought about our new life. Hebrews 2.10 is another verse that teaches this. It refers to Jesus as the founder of our salvation. Think about that. Jesus, and again, thinking how King, what King Jesus does for his people. Jesus fathers us when we are adopted into the family of God through faith in him. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Understand that by nature, all of us are orphans. By nature, all of us are, are alienated from God. We're orphans because of our sin. And think about an orphan, right? Someone who doesn't have anyone to provide for them. Someone who's helpless. Someone who's in dire need. 
And that's who we all are by nature. But yet God in his grace and Jesus and his powerful sacrifice, he has brought us into the family of God. Jesus secured our adoption by dying on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. Now all who by faith embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord are adopted into God's family. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then the same Apostle John will write later in his letter, 1 John 3.1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. He's like, what, what kind of love is this that God would take rebels like us, orphans, alienated from God because of our sin against God, that he would take us and, and scoop us up and save us and bring us into his family and lavish his inheritance on us. But yet that's what he has done for every one of us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today, it's all because of God's grace. It's the triune God. And specifically, it's Jesus who has brought about your salvation through his sacrifice on the cross. Just as we could not bring about our physical life, so we contributed nothing to our salvation and eternal life. It is entirely a gift from God purchased for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we would still be dead in our sins, separated from God, and headed for eternal punishment. But Jesus has graciously fathered us. He's graciously brought about our salvation into eternal life, into the family of God. No wonder, then, he should be called Everlasting Father. The second aspect of King Jesus' fatherly care for his people is this. Jesus compassionately provides for and protects us. Jesus compassionately provides for and protects us. Right? That's what a good father is supposed to do, right? A good father provides for his family, even sacrificing himself to make sure that the family's needs are met. And our Lord Jesus has certainly done that, hasn't he? He lovingly laid down his life to provide for our greatest need, our salvation. He left the glories of heaven to become one of us so that he could die on the cross in our place. He saved us from the punishment we deserve for our sins by bearing God's wrath in our place on the cross. He provided us with the perfect righteousness that we need in order to be with God forever. He provided us with the new birth through His Spirit. And again, having fathered us then through His life, death, and resurrection, Jesus continues to provide for His people, for His children. Think about the provision of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the provision of King Jesus for us, His people. 
having provided our salvation, He now provides His Spirit to teach, assure, guide, and empower us. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples in the upper room as He was preparing for His, his, uh, his crucifixion and His exaltation? He said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he was talking about sending his spirit to be with them. Jesus is no absentee father. Jesus is no absentee father. He is with every one of his children. Everyone he saves, he is with them 24-7, living inside them by his spirit. So Christian today, child of God today, be encouraged. You are never alone. You are never alone in this life. I know the holidays especially can be kind of a lonely time for, for some as, as loved ones perhaps have, have died or as expectations are not met in the busyness of, of life. But just know you are never alone if you're a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you by His Spirit. Your God is with you. He loves you, and He will care for you. The Bible speaks of a father's compassion for his children, right? The compassion that a father has for his children. A good father... A good father, when he sees his children in need, what does he do? He meets that need, right? His heart goes out for, to his children. When he sees one of his children hurting or struggling or in need, a good father is going to jump in and help meet that need. And if earthly fathers do that, how much more does our perfect Lord meet the needs of his children? We heard... David read earlier from Psalm 103, verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He knows us, he knows our needs, he knows how weak we are. And I know whenever we talk about God being our father, some of us, can, can be jaded toward the picture of God as Father, perhaps because your earthly father wasn't a good father. Perhaps your earthly father was cruel or unloving or, or wasn't a good provider. And even, even good dads are always going to fall short, right? Even, even Christian dads are prone to be selfish and, and grouchy. But God is not like that. We must not impose our earthly examples of fathers on God because God is the perfect father. God is, is a, a patient and loving father. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in, in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. (laughs) You see, again and again, it just keeps saying the same thing about God. He is faithful. He is slow to anger. And he abounds in steadfast love. Jesus' love for his own is faithful. Jesus' love for his own is never fickle. It never comes with strings attached. He always treats us, his, his people, with love and compassion. Jesus is full of a father's compassion, right? We read in Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion Jesus manifested that, right? He's God in the flesh. He makes God known to us. And what did he, what does scripture tell us about his life here on earth? Matthew 9, 36 says, just listen to these examples. And these are just a few of the compassion of Jesus. Matthew 9, 36 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. See, he sees their need and he responds and meets that need. Matthew 15, 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Mark 1, 40, and Todd referenced this in his prayer, which was providential. Mark 1, 40, and a leper came to him, to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, so here's a man in great need, right? And he's saying to the Lord Jesus, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And how did Jesus respond? Verse 41 says, moved with pity, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Understand the compassion and the faithful care of our Lord Jesus. He is full of compassion. Our Lord Jesus compassionately provides us with what we need. Jesus provides the bread of his word to nourish and strengthen our souls. Jesus nourishes his church, Ephesians 5.29 says. Jesus provides anytime, anywhere communion with him. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus provides comfort in all our afflictions. 2 Corinthians 1.4. Jesus provides loving discipline. <laughs> right? Well, a loving father disciplines their children. Hebrews 12.10 says, The Lord disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So when the Lord disciplines us, it is always done out of love. It's not punishment. It's not anger. It's not condemnation. All of that has been paid for at the cross. No, now it's loving discipline so that we might share or grow in his holiness. 
when trials come our way, every trial is from the hand of a loving Father. Coming from our sovereign God who loves us. Everything that happens to us is from God for our good, Romans 8.28 says. That he may purify us, that he may draw us closer to him because he knows our frame and he knows our tendency to be wayward and independent, right? No, no, I can do this like a stubborn little child, right? And so he has to teach us. Okay, go ahead, fall down, scrape your knee, whatever, but then he brings us back, right? And loves us. Jesus provides his ongoing ministry. Again, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of all the different aspects of Jesus' provision. I'm certainly not uh, touching them all today. But think about his ongoing provision for us through his ministry as our sympathetic high priest, as our great high priest. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and see if it doesn't remind you of Psalm 103, about him knowing our frame. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus has a fatherly heart for his people. And think about this. All of you who are parents, you get this, right? When, when you see your children struggling, you have so much compassion for them, don't you? You want to just jump in and, and help. And again, that takes wisdom, that, you know, how, how best should I help or whatever. But you know what that's like. Even as as Sinful creatures, we know what that's like when we see our kids in need and struggling. How much more does our perfect and sinless high priest sympathize with us? Jesus is like that with us. He knows what we are going through. He knows because he has lived it. Remember, he became one of us. He lived in this broken, sin-cursed world. He knows the pull of temptation. Jesus knows the relentless attacks of the evil one. Jesus knows the hurts that come even from friendly fire. Jesus knows the joy and weariness that comes from serving the Lord. Jesus knows the grief of loss. Jesus knows the longing of being in our heavenly home. He knows and he cares. He knows every need and struggle that we will ever have. And he is loving and powerful and wise and faithful to meet our needs perfectly. He cares for us. He provides for us. Oh, how our Lord Jesus provides for us, his people. He provides the means of grace prayer, gatherings of the church, the Lord's Supper, godly counsel, loving shepherds, 
Those are all gracious provisions from our Lord. But sadly, we sometimes refuse His loving provision. Like a, no offense teenagers, but like a foolish teenager who turns down home cooking to grab Taco Bell on the run. We often fail to slow down and truly feast on the scriptures that Christ has provided. We fail to commune at the dinner table with our family. We fail to commune with our Lord. Or we, or we try to bear the burdens of life on our own, right? Like that, little, like that little toddler, I can do this myself, right? You know, and then we, fa- we, fa- we try to bear those burdens rather than casting them on him who cares for us. But even in our folly, even in our sin, Jesus patiently sanctifies us. I hope you come away just being reminded of how abundantly and faithfully and graciously our Lord Jesus provides for us. Jesus compassionately provides for and protects his own. Right? That's one of the most important things a father can provide is protection. A good father protects his children. A king should protect his people. A husband protects his bride. A shepherd protects his sheep. And Jesus is all of those things perfectly. <laughs> he protects his own. He protects us through his word, through the church, warning us of the snares of the devil. Jesus protects us from the enemy of our souls, the devil himself, right? Satan would take away our salvation. He would place us back under the domain of darkness if he could, but he can't because Jesus is a powerful and faithful protector. In John 10, 28, the the good shepherd passage, Jesus says concerning his people, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's protection. That's security, loved one. The power of Jesus secures his people. No one can snatch them out of his hand. Not Satan, not the seductions of this sinful world, not our own hearts that are prone to wander. Jesus will not lose any of his people who have been entrusted to him. Jesus protects his own. In this world, Jesus said, we will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. As Christians, we will face disease, discouragement, and even death, but nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, because Jesus protects us. And that really leads to the third and final aspect I wanted to share with you today. As we think about his fatherly care, Jesus will never abandon us. Jesus will never abandon us. Again, many earthly fathers can be distant, right, or aloof, or passive, an absentee father, unreliable, selfish, even then uncaring and cruel. And it's disgraceful when a father abandons his children, leaving them vulnerable, leaving them to fend for themselves. But Jesus never abandons his own. Remember the name given to Jesus here in Isaiah 9-6, Everlasting Father. 
I believe that title is not specifically or primarily talking about his eternal nature, although that is certainly true, that Jesus is eternal. But rather, I think it's referencing the never-ending nature of his care. In other words, Jesus, you could say, is Father forever. His Father-like care goes on forever. Jesus will never abandon his children. Jesus loves his own, and he's committed to them forever. Hebrews 13.5 records a beautiful promise of Jesus to his people. Hebrews 13.5. I bet many of you know it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What precious truths. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is Father forever in that sense. His fatherly care will continue forever. Having brought about our new life, Jesus will never then leave us and say, all right, you're on your own. (laughs) No. Again, having indwelt us by his spirit, (laughs) Jesus will never leave us. I mean, you can't get any more present than that, can you? Having indwelt us by his spirit, Jesus will never leave us. Having united us to himself, Jesus will never cast us away. Having brought us into his family as a co-heir, Jesus will never disown us. Having begun a good work in us, Jesus will be faithful to complete it. Again, he knows what his children are going through, his people are going through. He's lived in this world. He knows what he has commissioned us to do. To go and make disciples. <laughs> to, to be a disciple, right? As we say in our, our mission statement. To make disciples by following the Lord Jesus Christ. We're disciples making disciples. And he knows what that's like in this fallen world with all its temptations and its persecutions and its struggles and our weaknesses. He knows what that's like. But what did he tell his people when he commissioned them to go and make disciples? Do you remember the promise he gave? Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with you, parent, as you faithfully try to raise up your kids. As you, whether it's homeschooling or, or, or family discipleship, whatever it is you're doing, and you just feel like, oh, is this getting anywhere? Jesus is with you. He's with you. He's with you as you seek to to live a godly life out in the workplace. He's with you as you try to, and as you spend time with him and, and fight your, the weakness of your flesh to spend time with him. He's with you there, drawing you near. He's with you, meeting you in, that, in, the, in those moments. He's with you as you're trying to serve the Lord. And, and you just, you're just like, is this seed landing on any soil? And, and I'm, I'm serving, and, and, and people are, flaky sometimes and and he's with you he's with you jesus is always present with his people and for his people that means he's always there providing loving care and protection for his people and like a good father jesus knows our needs he knows our weaknesses he knows our tendencies of waywardness and rebellion He sees all that, he knows all that, and yet it does does not stop him from loving us and caring for us. He is a father to the fatherless. 
something I read this week that really I thought was kind of profound. There are no, no, there are no orphans in Christ's kingdom or Christ's family. There's no orphans. There's no one who goes uncared for. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. So his care for us and commitment to us will never change. His compassionate fatherly care will continue forever. Jesus will continue to provide. Jesus will continue to protect. Jesus will continue to guide us and lead us and empower us by his spirit. He will continue to intercede for us, continue to sanctify us, continue to prepare a place for us in heaven. Jesus will continue to prepare us for his return. Jesus will continue to carry us when we are weak, to comfort us when we are grieving, to encourage us when we are down, to feed us in the green pastures when we hunger, to discipline us when we stray, to assure us when we doubt, to help us when we are afraid, and to draw us near to him. Jesus is faithful. And like I said at the beginning, every one of us needs a father like this. And if you're here today without Christ, you're still like an orphan. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has provided salvation and now the call goes out, come, come to the family of God. Turn from your sins, turn from stubbornly trying to live for yourself yourself and, and by your own means. And run to the arms of a loving Father. He alone provides salvation. He alone provides eternal security. And He is faithful. Again, I know other people maybe have let you down. And, and when that happens, we, we get kind of calloused and kind of hard. And we just say, nope, I've got to look out for myself. Because no one else, everyone else you know, lets me down, fails me. Jesus will never let you down. (laughs) He has to sanctify our expectations, right? We want comfort and ease. He says, no, but I'll give you salvation. I'll give you steadfast love. I'll give you a promise of sanctification to prepare you for an eternity of glory and joy that you can't even fathom. So admit your, your need, admit your weakness, and run to the loving arms of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. We praise you for creating a new people for yourself, for your glory. We know this came at great sacrifice. We can't even fathom the, the humility of the incarnation, that you being eternal, infinite God took on a, a finite human nature. And we know we can't fathom the agonies of the cross either, but we praise you for your, your love, for your amazing grace, for the great lengths that you went to to provide for the people that had been 
given to you. You are a powerful and gracious king. You are a faithful father who has brought about our new life. And we praise you for your faithful care, for your steadfast love. I pray that any here today who don't know you, Lord, that you would woo them today by your sovereign grace. That you would draw them into your family. Open their eyes. Give them faith to to trust in you. And for all your people here today, Lord, encourage them. Encourage them with this truth. Help us to trust you, for you are wholly trustworthy. Help us to depend on you. Help us to rejoice in being with you and to delight in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please, and we'll sing another song of praise.